the word ekphrasis comes from the Greek for the description of the work of art produced as a rhetorical exercise. It is a vivid, often dramatic, verbal description of a visual art piece. Hello, hello, yes sir, this is Darwin Nesseby. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of The Ekphrastic, a podcast where we paint pictures with words. Today's subject, drawing influence from her Chinese background, Dominique Fung's contemporary surrealist paintings critique the art history of Orientalism in art and the objectification of Asian women. We'll get to know her a little bit better in just a moment, but first, let's get into some art news. We have a write-up by Jessica Turner, written up in the Architectural uh, Digest, actually, the uh, Culture and Lifestyle section. And this is really relevant right now for what's going on in the world, today being March 2022, uh, entitled, How the Art World is Responding to the Russian Invasion of Ukraine. Quick summary, artists have pulled out of international uh, exhibitions around the world. Curators have hidden famous works on the ground. Um, and security forces have wrapped uh, museums in in barbed wire. Uh, so, they're, you know, they can see a ransack in, in the horizon. So, people are taking precautions. All right, so let's just jump into uh, what she has for us here. So with the recent invasion of Ukraine, we're reminded that more often than not, human lives aren't the only casualties of war. Priceless works of art uh, also tend to pay the price of fighting, especially in a highly ideological war. Art and culture are at the center of things and can't always make it out. During the uh, Second World War, art theft and looting unfolded on a massive scale that left pieces by, uh, by the likes of Raphael, uh, Gustav Klimt, and Van Gogh scattered without homes throughout the world. And now with the war over in Ukraine in full swing, art once again finds itself in danger. This time, however, with the invasion of Ukraine, artists and curators are stepping up to protect precious works of art that have no business being collateral damage in the middle of so much violence. Just yesterday, for instance, Raymudas, who curates the Russian pavilion at La, La Bendi Venzia, pulled out of this year's exhibition. So did artist Alexandra uh, Sokrova and Kirill Sajvikov. Their resignations may not shift the course of the war, but it makes a big statement. The Russian pavilion was designed by architect Alexei Shusev and built between 1913 and 1914. And though it's closed three times since its inception, it's never shut down as a political response to an ongoing war. Sachinkov uh, took to Instagram and, and, and admitted as a Russian-born artist, I won't be presenting my work in Venice. Their resignation is out of deference to those who had to halt their work on the Ukrainian pavilion because of the Russian invasion, which, since it began only a few days ago, uh, has forced more than 400,000 Ukrainians to become refugees, rushing to the border. And male Ukrainians between 18 to 60 are prohibited from leaving the country. They're staying to fight for their land, freedom. And culture. The Russians, however, aren't making defending themselves easy. The soldiers stormed Ukraine from all angles, destroying everything in their path while en route to Kyiv. One of the many architectural casualties in 
the Ivankiv Historical and Local History Museum, in its namesake city, northwest of the capital, Russian soldiers burned the museum, which was home to 25 works of 20th century folk artist Maria Prima Chekno uh, to, to the ground. Her work may not be as widely known as some of their more internationally established counterparts, but Maria Primachenko is a household name in Ukraine. In fact, one of her works was the decorative backdrop on, uh, on, the, on Ukrainian stamps throughout the 1970s and 12 years after her death. The United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization declared that 2009 was the year of Maria Primachenko. Today, so many of her colorful works are nothing but ash blanketing the floor of their former home, which is now just a pile of rubble. In response to the hateful acts against Ukraine and its cultural relics, Ukraine has called on UNESCO to revoke Russia's, Russia's membership to the organization. For the museum still standing, protecting artwork is complicated for myriad of reasons. Perhaps most urgently, the people who haven't yet fled their beloved country are rushing to enlist. Those on their way out are bringing only the, the bare minimum, cash, documents, something to wear nobody's uh wrapping up some art plus ukrainian citizens can't exactly wrap up a centuries-old painting and pack it between suitcases in their cars now that makes you kind of wonder like if well you never think you're gonna be the you know the complete decimation of your your country you never think you're gonna be alive for a moment like that complete decimation of your of your country so if somebody had this sort of foresight, maybe as uh, all the non-fighting citizens are making their way out the country, there could have been a government program. Perhaps one that you know some of these museums, like over here in this in this uh, in DC where we have the Smithsonian. I mean, it's partly government funded anyway. So you know, all your employees that work there you secure them and their families and you know give them a give them a van gogh to, t to take with them you know uh protect as much as you can wrap it up in some tin foil or something <laughs> uh okay that's not funny so let me i'll go on in order to move pieces and you know <laughs> in order to move pieces and collections out of the country state museums must first acquire government permission which takes time something the government doesn't have much of at the moment after all when tensions with Russia first started sizzling several weeks ago, the executive team at Kiev's, uh, Kiev's Museum of Freedom was onto something. It applied for permission to move priceless works out of the country. But even more than a month later, nothing has been approved. And it looks like nothing will now that Russia, Russian troops have arrived and are looking to take what they believe is theirs. Those museum employees who value the art are desperately seeking storage facilities within the capital in order to save it. But little has been confirmed. The Odessa Fine Arts Museum, mere steps from the Black Sea, doesn't have enough to the storage facility at other museums. That was written kind of funny. At other museums sprinkled throughout the bigger cities. So security spent hours wrapping the perimeter in barbed wire and hid what they could in the basement. Russian art, on the other hand, is in the spotlight for an entirely different reason. Across four floors of the Frank Gehry Design Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris, a 200-piece collection from the Russian Murazov brothers is proudly on display for several extra weeks. The show called Murazov's Collection, Icons of Modern Art, is the first time the brothers have, spent, have, have sent their collection to a museum outside of Russia. The collection features works by Van Gogh, Valentin Serov, and Pierre-Auguste Renoir, amongst others. 
Though art belonging to Russians is well out of harm's way, the same of course can't be said of Ukrainian art. And until the fighting slows, the invasion stops, and Ukrainians have returned to their homes, the fate of the art is as unknown as the fate of this war. For our next piece, I'll be reading out of Artnet News, a piece written by Vivian Chow entitled Inching Toward Res uh, Restitution. Belgium has handed over an inventory of 84,000 artifacts to the Demo Democratic Republic of Congo. We went from one story of uh, helping art ex escape and uh, to the next story, you know, helping art be returned to their homes. And so we begin. In a step forward, the Africa Museum in Belgium has handed over a list of some 84,000 artifacts in its inventory to the Democratic Republic of Congo. I'll just keep saying Congo here for it, but they might just keep doing the most and saying the whole thing, but yeah, I know what I'm talking about. For a thorough investigation into the province that will likely lead to the restitution of cultural objects looted by the European country during the colonial era. The announcement was made on February 17th during the visit of a Congolese delegation led by Prime Minister Jean-Michel Soma Lukondi of the Democratic Republic of Congo. <laughs> <laughs> at the Royal Museum for Central Africa, or Africa Museum. Tuverne, the largest institutional holder of colonial-era artifacts in Belgium, the visit was greeted by Belgium's Prime Minister, Alexander de Croix, and Thomas Dermine, State Secretary for Science Policy, Recovery Program, and Strategic Investments, as well as Guido Grisels, Director General, uh, Director General of the Museum. The research program will bring together experts from both countries to identify the origins of the objects in the museum's collections. Works that are identified to have arrived in Belgium illegally will be considered to be restituted to Congo, uh, according to the Brussels Times. The Belgian government has pledged $2.3 in funding for the program over the next four years. And I just translated that to dollars for y'all, just in my head, just like that. <laughs> The handover of the inventory of the Africa Museum's collection to the Congolese Prime Minister is an important step in the implementation of the new approach to restitution. Dermine said in a statement, translated from French into English, working together in complete transparency on the basis of an inventory of uh, and providence of uh, studies uh, within a committee composed equally of experts from both countries. These are the conditions for the balanced and fair approach that we have in mind. Dermine's office did not immediately respond to Artnet News requests for additional comment. All right, so good work being done there. You know, it sounds like it's going to be fair um, and they're willing to do it. So, uh, and if they're willing to do it, that's step one. Step two, you know, they have actual uh, Congolese experts and uh, natives uh, coming back and being part of that, you know, whatever panel they put together to, to judge the origin uh the authentication authentication of the uh, origin of some of those artifacts so looking forward to good things happening there and them being able to step up their um their art culture in in, in congo in a democratic republic people's republic of congo the last thing we have here is coming from cnn style durer drawing bought for 30 dollars at a yard sale is worth more than 10 million experts say Man, somebody done came up. Somebody done came up for the low. 16th century drawing by one. And you guys remember, we went over 
uh, this was, that was one of our featured artists uh, back uh, in the previous season, uh, Albert Durer. So let's find out a little bit about this piece because uh, I didn't. I think I came across this one, but this wasn't the one that we did uh, on our episode. So a 16th century drawing by one of the key figures of the German Renaissance has been valued in excess of 10 million after it was initially purchased at a yard sale uh, for just $30 in 2017. So according to Agnes Gallery, the London auction house in possession of the artwork, Albert Durer, who died in 1528, but you already know that, is regarded as both the greatest German artist of his time and as one of the most important artists and intellectuals of the European Renaissance. The drawing that has been rediscovered is titled The Virgin and Child. As Durer's career and legacy has been studied in depth since his death, it is extremely rare to find unknown works of his and Agnew's uh, said in a press release that this drawing has been the subject of a significant interest since its rediscovery. Boston-based art collector Clifford Shower who is a consultant to the gallery, told CNN Thursday that he came across the rare artwork uh, thought to have been completed in 1503. Uh, he came across this artwork by chance on the way to a party in Massachusetts in 2019. He had forgotten to bring a gift to the party, and so he took a detour to a bookstore which sold collectible volumes in, in, uh, on the way. The bookseller told him his friend had a Durer drawing and asked if he would take a look at it. Shower agreed but held out little hope. Given that the last time an unknown drawing of caliber by the artist was discovered was more than 100 years ago, he said. The artwork had been purchased at a yard sale at the home of an architect who had been gifted the piece from his art dealer father, Schurer said. Wow. <laughs> so who gave this up? Who was the... The artwork had been purchased at a yard sale at the home of an architect who had been gifted... He had been gifted the piece from his art dealer father. His art dealer father was the clue, my guy. That was the clue. You had an art dealer father or Faja. <laughs> and he gifted you this painting. Like, would you think it was going to be a $30 painting when he gave it to you? Your father's an art dealer. Of course, he's going to give you some dope stuff. You... And then you just had it up at a yard sale? You idiot. <laughs> what are you doing? You just had it up at a yard sale. And you're an architect. Why are you having a yard sale anyways? You make 100, 200. You probably make a ton of money. Your father was an art dealer. I don't know how much architects make. I could have said a hundred million or a hundred thousand. I don't know. I'm just saying. You got an art sale that you gotta that you're making thirty bucks a piece off of stuff. Like, what's going on with your your choices, your 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 decision making? How'd you end up here? This is this article almost over. This is making me upset. Okay, I'm almost done. Let me let me just finish up here. Generally speaking, it's an, it's an inverse relationship between how dramatic the claim is and how much of a letdown it is. For example, if someone tells me they have a, a, a Da Vinci, I'm, I'm usually pretty confident I'm going to see some images that are unimpressive, Shorter said. When he arrived to examine the artwork weeks later, he, has taken, he was taken aback by its quality. 
yo, you can't mistake a dura. Like once you've seen this dude's work, you can't mistake it going forward. It's like it's like um, it's like a Picasso. Like you just that's where your mind is going to automatically go is Picasso. And a dura, you're going to automatically see any artwork that looks like this. It's it's going to trigger. It has to trigger something if you've ever been exposed to it. And your dad was an art dealer. You let us all down. We were rooting for you and you let us all down. I'm usually pretty confident I'm going to see some images that are unimpressive, Sure, sure said. But when he arrived to examine the artwork weeks later, he was taken aback by its quality. Sure said he told the owner, who wishes to remain anonymous, I think it's either the greatest forgery I've ever seen or a masterpiece. It was like a kind of electricity. When you're in my world, you spend your life looking for unknown things that that lead to fascinating research avenues and could see and, and I could see I was at the beginning of something extremely exciting, Schroer said. Schroer described how he then began a three-year journey to verify the artwork, which involved taking 17 international flights around the world to consult experts. This included a roundtable at the British Museum in London in December last year where the drawing was examined by scholars in the field outside other works on paper by Durer, according to Schur and Agnes. The artwork has undergone technical age analysis and bears the hallmarks of the artist. Schur said he believes it is worth eight figures and in excess of 10 million. It's probably fair to say he's one of the greatest graphic designers that ever lived, a pioneer in engraving and drawing. He was a maestro in black and white and his famous prints inspired artists all over the world. In terms of relative value, I think you have to compare it to other old master drawings, Schroer said, such as the Dutch artist Lucas van Louden, uh, whose drawings sold for 15.6 million in 2018. Oh man, that was painful. That, that was painful, but you know what? For a nice palette cleanser, let's get back to our ekphrastic artist of the day, Dominique Fung. Western art history as a whole can be an unreliable vision. I know, I know. Breaking news. For centuries, European painters have heralded systems of imperialism uh, through their works and and for the average art viewer, it's difficult to untangle colonial context while pursuing the halls of a major museum. Western depictions of the East are littered with tropes of the exotic, the fetishized, and the voyeuristic. Dominique Fung's contemporary surrealist paintings, they critique this long history of Orientalism in art and the objectification of Asian women. She collects these problematic notions and recasts them through her, her own lens, refiguring art history to give her subjects real agency. She was born in 1987 in Ottawa, Canada, but now lives in New York, uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn in New York. She received a BAA from Sheridan College Institute of Technology in Oakville, uh, in Canada, that's up in Canada. Um, Fung was raised First, you know, from first-generation parents from Shanghai and Hong Kong. Her childhood was a blend of cultural impressions, speaking Cantonese at home, and English at school. 
kind of like my own upbringing, not Cantonese, of course, but speaking Creole, Haitian Creole at home, but English at school. Her early artistic passions were informed by Vermeer, Manet, Rembrandt, Goya, but her sense of Chinese heritage was largely informed by vessels and objects she saw at home and on display in the Asian art section during visits to the Met in New York. It was after such a visit to the Met that Fung realized that her own understanding, her own understanding of Chinese heritage was also built through a Western lens. She would eventually move to New York at 29, where she built her career uh, the old-fashioned way, going to openings, meeting artists, uh, showing in um, artist-run spaces. Uh, but nowadays, you know, something a little different from old-fashioned school, old fashioned ways. She, she, has, she has social media. Uh, social media uh, played a big part. She racked up almost 24,000 Instagram followers, uh, where she garners likes from you know, other up-and-coming painters of her age. And she does a lot of mixed media on there, too. I really recommend you checking her out there. To spot a Dominique Fung work, if you happen to come across it, you have to think porcelain, peaches and pools, rogue body parts, luscious dreamscapes. She creates paintings with lush surfaces. The paintings have deep conceptual underpinnings. And if you hear her talk about them, do you like, she really unwraps everything that goes on. And some of these paintings may be busy. So there's a lot of intentional pieces in there that you might miss. She does this and sometimes she slips in a little bit of humor in a seditious way and catches you slipping with that. Fung creates paintings with these lush surfaces, deep conceptual underpinnings. And when you, some of her paintings are rather, can be busy, Right. Uh, I'm not saying that as a critique. It's just there's a lot going on. And a lot of this, like every little piece has purpose. It's intentional. Uh, she, you can hear her when I when you listen to her explain some of her pieces. And she has a thought and a memory connected with like every brushstroke almost. Anyway, so they're generally going to be full of rich color, uh, visual exuberance. Like I said, um, her work evokes a classical essence while making their own original mark. In the words of Max Lacken, uh, he's, he, he, wrote, uh, he wrote up on her and, uh, at the art forum, and let's see, he says here, Dominique Fung's imagery tweaks historical painting in a number of sensuous, seditious ways. Her visually naughty and pleasantly, perce- pleasantly perception-scrambling canvases, perception-scrambling, <laughs> That's that's a nice way to put it because I said busy, <laughs> but that's the um, the terminology you're going to want to use in the uh, SAT kids. Don't listen to don't listen to your local host. Uh, canvases antagonize both colonists' conceptual uh, conceptions of Asian art as well as any form of passive viewing. I gotta write that one down. Perception scrambling. Fung casts her canvases in a uniformly honeyed glow, buttery gold that called back to the hazy palette of Orientalist paintings. And I'm still reading um, from Max Lacken here. So these Oriental paintings, which poorly envision the more sun-baked corners of the world. What Fung's work doesn't share is those Orier paintings, uh, pictures, fealty to a fixed perspective. Oh, okay. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, definitely the sun... 
and shadows uh, bounce in surreal ways on her uh, canvas. So, okay. All right. I feel you. Uh, but it's intentional. I'm telling you. Here, the fields warp, collapsing, various styles with a single image, as in Will You Keep Singing? A cabinet of curiosities, including cage vessels and fungal candlesticks growing through furniture, rendered against a, f uh, a background of fuzzes out into abex dobs. The fragmentary quality can be disorienting. Another way you could say busy. A jumble of memory and historical record, an abstraction of diasporic uh, dislocation itself. Very nice. Well said, Max. You know what I mean? This, this guy's got a way with words. Uh, Dominique became increasingly interested in flipping the script in her own practice. At Wash Your Corners, uh, which was a solo show at Cross Kramer, recent paintings bring together traditional Chinese objects from her family home and memories, such as food dogs, uh, gourd-shaped va uh, vases, porcelain plates, and teapots. Remember I said earlier, just... You you look for look for the porcelain, uh, peaches, uh, rogue body parts, luscious dreamscapes. This is this is just what she do, you know. Uh, she's good at it. They populate dreamlike scenes that continue the legacy of surrealism in their play with scale, time, and and gravity. It's surrealism at its purest. And today's ekphrastic poem takes us a trip through one of these dreamscapes, all in a search for happiness. Now remember, here's how it works. This is going to be a description of a visual art piece. As I'm speaking, I want you to visit the Ekphrastic page on my website, darwindarko.com. Check the show notes. There should be a link there. At the site, you will find all this stuff cataloged for your viewing pleasures, all the stuff that we discuss from day one. To accompany today's reading, I want you to pull up Double Happiness. It's a large-scale 2021 oil painting done on a linen canvas. I'll give you a second to search for it in your browser. What's better than one happiness? Bizarre and alien lighting create an illusion of death paired with creamy colors and brushstroke. They tend to look pretty surreal. Inanimate objects take on Bali likeness and dismembered appendages poke into the frame. Fruit, glassy ceramics, and oriental iconography decorate corners that renders the trauma of being fetishized. Feast your eyes. Two blue and white vases and glass cases, cartoon-like forms that have a spectral presence as witnesses to the crime that has preceded the image, collapsing past and present without rejecting either. Glass. Cases. Bears a bullet hole, the mirage to materialize. Glass. Cases. Her reflection fractures and then the body fragments are idealized. Glass. Cases and blurring the distinction between figure and still alive, simultaneously addressing the space between flesh and commodified, and the dire consequences of being dehumanized. Such dehumanization. We're all just animals that need a connection. Five years ago, Dominique Fung was painting in a basement below a Toronto nail salon. 
Now, she's the toast of the art world. I have a couple words from the artist, actually. Uh, when asked in a recent interview, what are some, th- some themes and ideas you are working with right now? She goes on to say, I'm interested in investigating the specularized yellow person. Always aware we are being gazed upon in a specific light in media, history, and in life in North America, our personhood is rendered invisible by this dehumanizing gaze. Paintings such as Bone Holding Fan, is that Bonet Holding Fan? Um, With the blurred fans are attempting to achieve a sense of distortion, a figure that is not solid, rendered invisible, but so haunting you cannot look away. One new idea I've, been, I've begun to work with is the theme of celebration, which I had not done in the past. I want to hold complexity in my ideas and, Im- and image making. The painting, the largest and most formal meal of the day, is my attempt at bringing in celebration and pride of the Cantonese foods I grew up with. She went on to say that her dream project is... Um, I have many large sculptural project ideas I want to make, and I'm sure in due time I can actualize some of these grand ideas. Also, at some point, she wants to publish a cookbook of recipes from living artists. So, what's the market looking like for Dominique Fung? Um, coming off her recent solo exhibition, It's Not Polite to Stare, at Jeffrey Deesh, New York, was on view through last summer. So, you missed it. Sorry. Um, uh, recent recent exhibitions though include Coastal Navigation uh, and uh, at the uh, Nicodine uh, Gallery uh, in LA. Uh, it's a solo show. It's still going on now, if I remember correctly. So go check her out. You can also remember uh, if you can't make it out to LA, just follow Fung on the gram. Uh, it's at her first and last name, Dominique Fung. You know, just give her a like. She puts a ton of she shares a ton of her work on there uh so you can you can you can you can enjoy her there and also that she like i said she does a lot of mixed media stuff uh and she's involved with that and she also promotes other mixed medias so you, you know she shares down on her page too so it can help expose you to other artists that uh, upcoming artists that you may not be aware of um she yeah regularly shares all her work on there um plus she has some sneak peeks into her process so that's always helpful see how the um what do you call it I, I said busy. He's, he called it pleasantly perception scrambling. <laughs> so you can see her pleasantly perception scrambling uh, work on her page. Uh, see how that process uh, comes together. Uh, and of course, to stay up to date on her shows. So uh, we painted yet another pretty picture today with our words. Very nice. I'm glad you took the time to join me on this journey. For this and other artwork we discuss, please visit the website darwindocker.com backslash ekphrastic. It's where you can find all this stuff catalog for your viewing pleasure. If you like the show or if you want to leave some creative feedback, uh, please rate us five stars, hopefully, and leave us a comment. Uh, I would love to, for you guys to start interacting so I can know what you want. Maybe you have suggestions, maybe something really hit home with you. You know, I'd love to hear from you. That's all, That stuff is always helpful. Uh, another great way to support the show is to share it on your socials, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, whatever. We'll take it. Uh, speaking of which, we are now on Twitter at the Ekphrastic, one word. Instagram, we are the Ekphrastic. Yeah, I know I got both of those. Instagram and Twitter on lock. And on YouTube, just search Ekphrastic Podcast. Proud to say. 
first result that comes up. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I'm just saying, you're missing out. Um, you can listen to the show there on, on YouTube also. Follow the show and whenever we put out new content, maybe we can swim our way up your timeline. So, I've been Darwin Messadu. Thanks again for listening to The Acrastic.